On today's episode, we chat with Tass Bober about websites and assessing your digital presence. Tass is a B2B digital marketing strategist that helps B2B companies create best-in-class pipeline engines. And she has been in the marketing space for over 15 years. So she has a ton of golden insights to share with us. Let's dive right into it. So first and foremost, let's start with building some foundations. If you wouldn't mind just kind of walking through what have been some of the unique things, problems you've tackled in your career? And then we can talk through as well how you're positioning yourself now and what you're what you're trying to solve for people at this point. Yeah. Um, so first of all, my just a little context on my background. I've worked in marketing for 15 years, digital marketing and B2B specifically. And then, you know, created a few teams, run a few departments for enterprise companies. And now I'm pivoting to moving on my own. The problem that I'm seeing in the market now, obviously it's kind of a tricky market, tons of layoffs, um, you know, and companies are slashing budgets and they have high growth targets. I mean, that was my exact situation six months ago. Um, and so what happens is you can either hire somebody for really low headcount right? But people need the expertise and they need the depth of someone who can zoom in and zoom out. And that's the problem that I was noticing is the online presence is kind of a huge play right now. Um, how can I come in, help multiple companies, you know, with their digital marketing strategy and their website growth strategy to hit those numbers, but also having the experience to back it up where they're not onboarding and trying to train, um, you know, junior employees to get there and marry that strategy and that execution piece. So that's kind of the problem I'm trying to solve right now from a digital marketing perspective for B2B companies specifically. It's, it's interesting. So when you started 15 years ago, um, very different landscape in, in marketing. Uh, a lot of yep. like scammy tactics being used by a lot of people look, like looked really different. And yeah. one thing that I think going forward is maybe a, a bit different now. Looking back, once people started embracing the idea of having a website, and companies all knew that they had to have one, then the website became the only thing. That, that was the most important thing. And now there's there's more to it. There, it goes beyond the website. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that of a, a company's digital presence on the website, but also kind of beyond and what that should look mm -hmm. like. Yeah, so I look at it as three credibility checks that people do now when they're interacting with a company, even before they interact with a person or a company, right? They do three checks. One, um, the website, obviously. So does this look like a legitimate person? It is shocking how many websites look like they're still from 15 years ago, right? Um, it's just one of those things that's just an ever-evolving product and asset. And if people aren't nurturing it, it's going to be stale in like two years. So there's always going to be a problem uh, that needs to be solved there where people need to nurture that website asset. The other credibility check is they'll go to LinkedIn. Is this a legitimate person? Is this a legitimate company? Are they active? Are they showcasing value? So that's another lever. And then the third one is they go to agnostic sites, like, you know, review sites, and then on a more casual front, something like Reddit, um, to see what people are saying about their product and company. Two out of three of those you can control. And that's the part with the digital strategy that they need to encompass right now is how can we at least get two out of the three? And honestly, if you hit those two, you're more likely to have the third, which is the agnostic um, sites, do a better job of, you know, who you are in the market and talking about you in a way that's actually giving you more credibility because it's not coming from you. Um, so that's kind of the three ways I look at it in terms of, 
what the digital foundation is now outside of the website and inside of the website. In terms of those two that you can control as a business, there's still kind of this temptation to over-index on design, uh, over-index on like development functionality, things like that, which is obviously important to make it all flow. But then the pipeline generation, the revenue side of it can often get lost from a marketing perspective. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts there on how, how do you actually put revenue at the, at the forefront of what you can control with your web presence? Yeah, so I tell people at, in the simplest form, you obviously want your site to load fast, right? So provided that that experience exists, forget about everything else. It exists within three seconds. Somebody comes to the site, it loads great. The second thing is the content. And this is actually the part that doesn't require a lot of design work, doesn't require development resources, but it's how you're positioning stuff. And I think one thing with B2B is that we jargonify, jargonify, I'm going to make that up, jargonify their messaging on there. And then you end up with something like revolutionizing AI, 250% ROI. But what does that mean to someone? What problem are you solving? And I think we're doing this thing where we're trying to regress on our messaging and saying, okay, can we revert to something simple? Because that's more effective. The second mistake I see, people try to regurgitate all their information on the website. I'm going to bombard you with so much information, so many CTAs, so many actions. I'm going to confuse you um, in the name of giving you all the information and giving you zero reason to actually reach out and talk to us, right? So in its simplest form, you just want to make it easy to use. Give me one solid action that I need to take on a single page, right? Don't try to get me to sign up for your newsletter and talk to sales and um, download this report and go get this ebook. I mean, that's just too many things. Give them one clear thing to do, why they should do it, and say, okay, with our sales team, you can cover the next topic or the next step and see how we can help you there. Um, and I think we just overcomplicate that process a lot. And one of the things that I've seen revenue-wise on your high intent pages, pricing, demo, homepage, right? Tell them what they can expect if they do reach out to you. I think that's the biggest thing is people are giving you something that's valuable to them, which is their information. Can you tell them what, what they can expect if they do give that to you in return, right? So to say, hey, Someone will reach out to you within 24 hours. We're going to have a discussion first. Then we'll come in with a custom demo. Because the biggest problem I see, users are expecting a custom demo right off the bat. Sales is not providing that. They send you in this long journey and you're in this perpetual web forever and ever. And then we complain about long sales cycles. Like we're the problem, right? Hi, it's me. I'm the problem, Taylor Swift style. So yeah, so that's kind of the small, low-hanging fruit I always see. And those are the quick wins that help increase things by like 30%. It's significant. So when we're talking about measuring these things that you're doing, um, what, what is the setup for measuring uh, a digital presence usually look like when you come on board? And then, you know, how do you fix that? What, what's the ideal kind of scenario for what you measure and how you measure things on a successful website? Yeah. And, and not just website. I look at it from like a zoomed out perspective. Um, it's hard to do by channel specifically. And I do it by channel. I call it the platform to pipeline reporting. So I measure it by channel. But the thing is, it's important to see what all those activities are together because the buying journey is not linear, right? So then you could look at something like 
oh, my organic efforts aren't actually driving as much as my paid. So I'm just going to deprioritize organic. Well, guess what? Your paid's going to suffer because organic is lagging behind. So I do a channel specific measurement reporting. I do all of the vanity stuff, which people give vanity metrics a bad rap. But here's how you should look at vanity metrics, which is, you know, like your page views and your users and things like that. Those are indications that it's going in a positive direction, right? Positive indicators. So if you know that there was a technical issue that tanked your traffic by 30% and as a result, everything else tanked by 30%, now you know why. It's not because something didn't perform you know what the root cause is. So we troubleshoot the funnel there where I set up the reporting from start to finish and what that journey looks like before the curtain on stage and behind the curtain. So if they're talking to, you know, sales, I'm sending a bunch of leads to sales. No one's following up. Okay, we're going to, that's the part where I'm not going to change anything I'm doing on the website. I'm going to go talk to sales and say, hey, what's wrong? Is there a quality issue? Oh no, we have headcount issues. We can't follow up. Okay, well then I'm not going to spend the money and give you stuff that, you know, is kind of lower volume, but you can handle, you know, and kind of scale it back. So looking at that from a channel perspective, but also from troubleshooting the funnel and seeing where can we, you know, where are the issues right now? And do we need to scale back or more, you know, based on what the company and teams can handle? I, I want to zoom back out a little bit here for a second, because I know that one big pillar of your career has been, you know, website migrations, this di the idea of digital press uh, presence and assessing and yep. fixing that for companies. And now going more the route of zooming out and wanting to be that ultimate helper for marketing for, for B2B companies. Um, what, what does fractional work look like for you? Uh, why, why do you think that fractional marketing work in particular is becoming important and more common? And why have you gone down that path? Yeah. So one thing that I've noticed in the market, obviously, this has been rough since COVID, right? Uh, especially tech companies, lots of layoffs. They want to appear profitable for whenever the market does pick up and they want to operate in a lean fashion. I think uh, it's really hard because we, we have to be respectful that people who are, have been laid off, like they're having a hard time, but people who are still within the companies, and I've been that way, right? I lost my whole team. I'm doing three people's jobs. And I'm like, man, I wish I had the expertise to come and be a thought partner for me, but then I can't afford to pay them $200,000 to come be a thought partner with me and do the work. So can I have them, you know, um, for a couple of days a week or just in a fractional capacity? have that expertise, can help me with the strategy, help me with the execution, help me with handling the relationships and external resources, especially if you're head of marketing right now where, you know, you're trying to do too many things. You know, you have events, you have the demand gen, you have the corporate comm side, you have all of these things you're trying to manage, but you need that team. You just don't have the budget right now. This is where I'm seeing an uptick in the fractional work coming in and helping folks, you know, with that expertise but not having the hefty price tag um, of having that person on full-time, onboarding, all of that stuff. How, how do you think that since the, in the 15 years that you've been in marketing, when you look at what your perception of a head of marketing or a CMO was at that time versus how it's changed today, what do you think is the difference there? I think we are doing more with less. Um, so, you know, when a company hires someone who's a head of marketing, they might have expertise in one certain area, right? Like name a marketer who's good at everything. That's just not realistic. Um, so I, what I see now is we bring in based on a problem that they're trying to solve. So is it, 
early stage, we're just trying to capture as much demand as we can. Okay, you're going to get someone with a hefty demand gen kind of expertise there. And then eventually, as they grow and mature, they're going to bring in people with more of a brand focus, you know, creating more demand in the market, that kind of stuff. So it just depends on where the maturity is and what they're bringing in. But the common denominator is they have lack of resources right now. And you can bring in agencies who can help you, but agencies are going to be really good at one specific thing. Like if they're really good at the paid ads or really good at, um, you know, uh, SEO or something like that, but maybe they're not helpful in terms of like the company strategy and lining those all up with the mission. And I think that's where fractional consultants have been on the uptick. I've seen it. I'm part of a few groups now. Um, and that's been something that I find companies are, are really capitalizing on because they can get that for less. So doing more with less. Um, and it just really fits that narrative as a nice piece of the puzzle. Yeah, kind of kind of going along with that idea kind of feeds into more sustainable way of thinking about marketing where you aren't just throwing gobs of money now at everything and hoping that things work out, but you're trying to be more strategic. Yeah. Uh, so you talked you talked about this on the role level for like a head of marketing, but tactic wise or channel wise, how does what does sustainable online marketing mm-hmm. kind of look like through that lens? Yeah. So I think the shift has been we're gonna try everything, right? Like TikTok came out, we're gonna try that. When Clubhouse, R.I.P. Clubhouse, um, when Clubhouse was around, you know, people were trying that. And I think now, and actually, I kind of like it. I think it's a blessing in disguise. Because now we have a market-backed excuse to simplify stuff, double down on what works. And in my most recent full-time role, we picked three channels that were the most profitable for us and we doubled down and we got really creative within those three channels, right? Because you can can get caught in this web of, I'm going to try 15 different channels where the quality is going to suffer, right? You're trying to do too much. The team's just plummeted with things that they're trying to do. Can we pick three things and do them really well? So for us, you know, we nailed down our paid social was one platform, paid search, one platform. And then we focused on the website and conversational marketing, utilizing Drift for chat. And that has helped us exponentially. We got really creative, pulled those CPLs down. They were more profitable, even with a 25% budget cut and 20% growth targets. So we were able to do that really well. And I'm like, wow, this is how marketing should always be. You know what I mean? Even when we, when there is an uptick in the market, I think this is just the way we need to do it is be really focused and double down. Yeah, unfortunately, the second that everything goes back up and people have more money, that <laughs> we'll just fall right back into our, our old ways. Um, one, one question that I love asking is around like frameworks slash systems. Everybody has a different way of doing things, especially when talking to a fractional CMO or a head of marketing. Um, Usually people have some strong opinions on the frameworks that they just keep coming back to all the time. So when you're onboarding a new client as a fractional head of marketing or or whatever, what system do you just keep coming back to that you use for almost everybody? Yeah, I always start out with a deep audit. And I do this at every role that I walked into, whether it was full-time, whether it's for my clients. I walk in and I assess the entire digital ecosystem and their website ecosystem. So I'm always looking at, okay, here's the low-hanging fruit because one of the biggest things is people think, okay, in the first you know, 30 days, you're trying to learn. No, you're trying to give your client that dopamine hit of you signed with me for a reason. We're going to make some changes really fast. And luckily, my clients are just there already. They're like, yeah, we need to do something different. 
and we need to do it quickly and right away. And with the audits, that's where I'm finding the low-hanging fruit. And honestly, the roadmap kind of builds itself. So I have a pretty in-depth audit sheet. They actually used to call me the template queen at uh, my previous job. So I have a template for everything. So, you know, if you're going on a trip, you f- want to find an insurance carrier, I have a template for everything, truly. So, um, so no different at companies. So I look at it. And the first thing I do is evaluate the website, look at their digital um, presence. And the first thing I focus on is saving money instead of spending it, right? So I'm looking at it and I'll find thirty to $70,000 in wasted spend right off the bat. And now we can take some of those dollars, shift it into the things that are working and double down on those things. But that's where I come in. I look at that with that lens. You know, they call me bargain boba. So I come in, I look at that lens and I'm looking at where can we get the best deals? Are there redundant, you know, tools and offering? We waste so much money on tech. Um, and then where are we spending our time and wasting time, in essence? Um, what is, you know, and then build the roadmap for the larger projects to look at things that will require a little more resources. And honestly, whether they work with me or not, they get that entire framework and they get the roadmap to work on um, because I genuinely want people to do better marketing um, and not waste money. So that's just something that they get right off the bat. with. I want to finish off with two questions where it's it's a little bit more tangential. I, I want to get your thoughts on everything going on with AI before you go. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody's got such a different opinion on on this stuff, and it's it's changing the way that SEO is done. For example, it's going to change ads. It's everything's just a little bit different now, and it'll get much more different, I'm sure, in the future. Where do you stand with how AI is integrating with your marketing efforts right now, um, or maybe it's not? I mean, it kind of is. There are there are tools that will generate an entire website for you using AI. I actually went in the minute I found out that that existed, I was like, oh, we're going to try this. So I created a dummy site and then I had AI just create it for me. I said, here's my visual kind of design flow. I like, you know, I like rounded edges instead of straight edges. And then it popped out this website. So design wise, it was OK. It was a little bit inflexible after that. Um, so that was kind of interesting. And then I gave it kind of the content piece and obviously AI is only as good as the prompter. So maybe it was me (laughs) user error, but the content still has a long way to go. And the way I position it is anytime a new technology comes out, people immediately pick, right? I'm going to hate it. I'm going to love it. And I've always been, I'm going to explore it. And so I'm keeping an eye on it to see if there are things that are getting better. I think the one piece, and I have a, a really good friend of mine who's in the creative space, and he's very anti-AI because of mid-journey. You know, you're taking artists' work. There's a lot of copyright privacy stuff there. Um, so I'm very conscious about that as well from a website perspective where I don't necessarily want to leverage a lot of other people's information. So my thing is leverage AI to help with efficiencies. So if you are trying to think of like doing keyword research, right? clustering, it can do it better for you and faster. Why waste your time there? Then when you're creating the topics, can you can you inject a unique POV to then put on the site and give it a different angle? The other thing is, I don't know if people have noticed, but Google has, you know, now generative AI within the search as well, which is reducing the clicks going to sites, but it's still leveraging some of the information that's coming from those sites. So I always say, don't be scared of it. You can choose to run from it and then you're going to be outdated or you can lean into it, learn as much as you can and see if you can leverage 
you know, whatever the new technology is to do things better. So same thing with GDPR. People panicked. Now it's the norm, right? Same thing now with GA4. People are still freaking out about it, but it's going to be the new norm. And AI is just the new norm. Um, so we just have to learn to, to live with it and work with it and see where we, it still needs a lot of human intervention. So be the person that can intervene at the right time, you know, and be efficient in, in other ways. Last question. I ask most people this. Uh, your work with enough companies that you probably have opinions on tooling. So I, I just want to know, marketing tool-wise, is there a tool that you either use specifically for your own business or that you often kind of integrate with when you join another company to work with them that you couldn't live without and you just keep coming back to? I manage all of my work in Airtable, um, although I will say I'm pretty tool agnostic when it comes to like website tools and things like that. As long as you have a way to measure, you know, the traffic and engagement coming into the site, um, I'm pretty agnostic with CMSs as well. Although I will say Adobe Experience Manager, I have a lot of trauma from that, from the 400 sites that I talked to you about. Um, so maybe not that one because it's a little bit hard. But I think it depends on a couple of things when you ask yourself if you're going to buy a tool for your company is how many people are you expecting to use it? Is it going to be a mix of tech savvy people and non-tech savvy people? Are you trying to get it for everybody in the company? Then make it something that people is, you know, that's easy to use. Is it only going to be a certain set like product people or engineering people? Then, yeah, I mean, you can afford to make it, you know, something that requires a lot more knowledge and skill. So I'm tool agnostic. I'm just anti too many tools. And I think that's where the confusion comes in. Um, so, but for my own business, I run everything on Airtable uh, workspace wise. My clients get those workspaces as well. I just find that it's easier to, because it's like a, you know, Excel sheet on steroids and, and you can make it do different things. So I've always found success with that. Um, but again, I'm, I'm pretty flexible there. I just don't like redundancy in tools. <laughs> 